0: Now, before we commence the sermon, we have one of our members, Miss Olivia Eddy, who's getting ready to do a mission trip to Germany, and I believe, come on up, Olivia, the The target has changed. You're no longer going, you were initially, come on up here, it's all right, it only hurts for a minute. You were initially going to? Frankfurt. Frankfurt but that, because one of the leaders there has stage three Stomach cancer just discovered. So do you remember their name offhand? Um, It was Kelly. Kelly. Mm -hmm. So as you think of it, pray for Kelly. Uh, So now her trip, she's still going to Germany, but she's going to Munich. And it's how many weeks? Eight weeks. Eight weeks in Munich to share the gospel. Now, let me point something out, folks. The home of no less a person than Martin Luther has become so secularized that there's a desperate need for the gospel in Germany. And that is how darkness grows. And so Olivia's going to some other students, going to give eight weeks of her summer to go there to serve and to share the gospel in Munich. Um, are you nervous? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is this the longest you'll have been away from home? Mm-hmm. Yes, How's your German? <laughs> OK. It's, it's fine, dear. It's fine. All right. Let's take just a moment, though, as your church family. We want you to know we will pray for you. The Lord has been kind to this church. We've been able, enabled to have ministries of the gospel in Senegal, Japan, the Philippines, China in years gone by, and now Germany. So as Olivia, one of ours, goes, let's just take a moment now to pray for her, all right? Our Father, we do rejoice in your calling in Olivia's life. We know there's some apprehension and nervousness, Lord, but we know as well there's a determination to follow you. And for that we give thanks. We pray, Father, that you would assuage the fear that may rise up, the doubt. May she rest in faith. And Lord, our prayer is that you have already prepared the way, that you'll use her and other members of the team. To bring the light of the gospel to a place that has become exceedingly dark. Oh Lord, you have people there. By your power, by the work of the Spirit, and by the word of the gospel, make this successful for the sake of the kingdom. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Olivia. We'll be praying for you. All right. And now, once again... We find ourselves in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the 8th chapter. Now, folks that are new, this may seem a bit peculiar to you. Typically, expositional preaching, biblical preaching of this sort, we try to go verse by verse through the text. Some texts lend themselves to that, Others, not as much. So we are taking large bites on occasion as we go through here. So today, Jeremiah 8.4 through chapter 10, verse 25. That is 8.4 through the end of the 10th chapter. And we're going to read some selections. First, chapter 8, beginning at verse 4. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord... When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they've not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil, saying, what have I done? Everyone turns to his own course like a horse Plunging headlong into battle, even the stork in the heavens knows her times. And the turtle dove, swallow and crane, keep the time of their coming. But my people know not the rules of the Lord. Uh, I'll give you a little aside. He just called them bird brains. <laughs> How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But Behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame they shall be dismayed and taken behold they have rejected the word of the lord so what wisdom is in them then a little further in the eighth chapter verse 18 my joy is gone grief is upon me my heart is sick within me behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land is the Lord not in Zion? Is her King not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their carved images, and with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of the daughter of my people not been restored? Chapter 9, verse 4. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They've taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves, committing iniquity. Heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord... Thus says the Lord Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold, they fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field, they cannot speak, they have to be carried. For they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them. For they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. And then verse 14 of chapter 10. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols for his images are false. and There is no breath in them. They are worthless. A work of delusion. At the time of their punishment they shall perish. Not like these. Is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. This is the word of our God. More than ever, I've understood what my Old Testament professor, Dr. Galliot, was saying. Now I will admit, Dr. Galliotti was one of my favorite professors. But he seemed to have kind of a one-arrow quiver. And he played that arrow, shot that arrow, used that arrow, almost to the exclusion of any other arrow. He may have had others in there, I just don't recall them. What I recall is whether I was doing Old Testament survey or Old Testament prophets or the Bible revelation and authority or biblical archaeology, Dr. Galliotti said, "You do understand the message of the Old Testament overwhelmingly, and especially in Jeremiah, is the judgment of the Lord." And I hear him hear that voice. He had something of a higher pitched, somewhat nasally voice. He was from Oklahoma. It's a little weird having an Italian out of Oklahoma teaching Old Testament materials in a, a Baptist college. In fact, I saw recently where Dr. Galliotti has retired. I'm not sure what that says about me. Um, It's disturbing in some ill-defined sort of way. But he was right. You cannot read Jeremiah without recognizing overwhelmingly the theme is judgment. Now, I know some of you are saying, preacher, we're on number, where are we? I've lost track, eight? Yes, this is the eighth sermon in the series. And this has been heavy, yes, and it doesn't get lighter. And I have to bear this in mind, and I want you to bear this in mind as we go through the book. What you read in these 52 chapters is 40 to 50 years of prophetic material. Now you spread the 52 chapters over some 50 years, okay, that's a theme. You concentrate the 52 chapters in a few weeks and it can feel absolutely crushing and daunting because it's all about judgment. But I remind all of us, this is for our good, for our encouragement, and there are times we need to be made well aware once again of the judgment of God. Last time, as we looked in chapter 7 and the first part of chapter 8, what's called the Temple Sermon, We discovered this evil family, Judah, is on its way to destruction. And we considered how spiritual delusions can destroy you. Well, today I want you to consider again something along that lines, that there are dangerous delusions. Origen, the early church father, said it this way, what each one honors before all else, What before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. What you honor above all else, what matters the most to you, that, my friend, to you is your God. We read the text and we see this delusion that somehow God Almighty is adjustable and that we get to make the adjustments. My friend, if you will not hear and heed the word of the Lord, you are deluded. You have bought a lie. 700 years after this the Apostle Paul while warning a very young church in Thessalonica had these words and this is part of a very difficult text 2 Thessalonians 2 who this man of sin or lawless one that is coming. But listen to these words. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing now listen to these words. Because they refused to love the truth, and so be saved. Therefore, consequence, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Do you hear the warning in the text? refuse to believe and love the truth God will fix it so you will believe a lie there's an inherent judgment in our unbelief this is why it's so essential that the Lord be the one who save who rescues now these chapters eight nine ten take up this theme of delusion and set it in distinction and and contrast to the one true God. So consider just four things with me. And let me give credit where credit is due. Apparently there's people out there who borrow sermons without attribution. I'll give you an aside. I don't know that I've ever had an original thought in my life. Somewhere, somehow, somebody taught me stuff and it percolated through up there and came through. So let me just take a moment. The commentator, Michael Wilcock did a great little commentary on Jeremiah Lamentations and I will give credit where credit is due. The way he outlined the text was better than what I could come up with. I changed the wording, but I'll give credit where credit's due because I know several of you no doubt have Michael Wilcock's commentary on your shelf at home and are going to check it as soon as I get done to see if I did justice here, right? First consideration, what's the cause of the delusions? In chapter 8, from verses 4 to 17, what we see is the beginning of what we could call the lie. Verse 8, behold, the lying pen of the scribes have made it into a lie. The end of verse 10, everyone deals falsely. And that strong statement of a lie comes down to this. You could call it not a lie, but the lie. It's the big lie. It's the big lie that has always been the big lie. It's the big lie in the temptation of the serpent to Eve. God's not the way you think He is. God's really not all that concerned about you. And God is okay with you acting in autonomy to set ethics the way you want them to do. To set righteousness the way you want it to be. And my friend, that is inevitably the big lie throughout human history. It gets twisted a little, shaded a little differently, worded slightly differently. But here is the bottom line God's not there, or at least not in any truly ultimate way. He's not all that concerned about truth, He's not offended by your sin. He's a go along, get along deity who's on your side. So just make up your spirituality as you see fit. What's caused the delusion? Well, the Lord probes it. Verses 4 and 5, he talks about Judah having this strange tendency. They fall down, but they don't get up again. They turn, but they never return. Now, this is a simplistic way of looking at it, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but when a toddler falls down, parents, what are we doing? Come on, get up. You're okay. You know We're inevitably in, in ready to be in meltdown mode. Any fall, when you're little, seems like the end of the world until so you get to the point you don't notice it anymore, and that revisits you, I've discovered, as you get older. <laughs> Athletes fall down. They get up. Even senior citizen pastors who fall down in dry creek beds at golf courses get up. I won't go any further. Just to say the creek down at Hidden Valley has lots of rock, and none of it's forgiving. The lie leads to his people making idiotic choices. When you read in verses 4 through 7, what you pick up is this this radical stupidity. In fact, he bluntly calls them in the text, they're just not bright. The best illustration I can think of would be Jesus' parable from Luke 15 of the prodigal son. Now you remember that whole story goes in stages, right? The, The prodigal... Uh, stage one, dad's not dying fast enough, and I'm a young man, I want my inheritance now, so daddy, can you just go ahead and liquidate the part that belongs to me? I'd like cash. Stage two, he's got his cash, party, and the party lasts Avenel all of us learn this: the party lasts till the money runs out. <laughs> Stage three, misery. Taking care of hogs. Lowest end. Career. That a Jew could have had in the first century. But what we read next is verse seventeen of Luke fifteen. But when he came to himself, he said. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here from hunger? At some point, he comes to his senses and he goes home. Judah is in stage three. They're in misery. The wealth has run out. The hope has run out. Everything's run out. They're trying to put band-aids on cancers, they're trying to heal broken limbs with herbs and spices. They are ruined spiritually and they are stuck in stage three misery. They have not yet come to themselves. The lie works because as people don't know the law. Verses 8 to 11, they, they claim the law, but they don't treat it like it matters. They've rejected the very word of God. My friends, hear me when I say this. When you don't see the word as not only the authority that is the final authority in your life when it relates to the matters of salvation, Christian living, morality, etc., you're headed into believing a lie. It is a pattern I have witnessed throughout the course of my life. Whenever somebody begins to fall into apostasy, it almost inevitably begins with questioning the authority, the final authority, the sufficiency of the Scripture. This is the beginning. And I've heard the defense, oh no, we're not abandoning the Scriptures. We're not abandoning Christianity. We just don't think that all the Word of God is actually the Word of God. The Bible has the Word of God, contains the Word of God, but it is not fully the Word of God. We've got to figure that out. And then the next thing you know, salvation is no longer by grace through faith in Christ alone, but it's something else. And salvation from hell, well, that's kind of ugly and dark. The Lord wants you to have a great life, and so salvation is saving you from negative thoughts. And eventually, folks if you have two and a half functioning brain cells, if that's what you're going to believe, stay home. Sleep in. Because this is just stupid. Once you've got the final authority of the word, and you see that lie works because the nation's leadership is falling apart. They're not ashamed. They they gather together, but they do themselves no good. In fact, he, he talks about it in terms of extraordinary suffering coming. They are shameless, fruitless, hopeless. That's his verdict on the kingdom that Jehoiakim is reigning over. And invaders are coming, and he warns them about Poisoned water. He's trying to give them a picture of what it's like to be under siege in that day. All they'll have are cisterns, whatever water is gathered that they can hold on to in the hopes of rain to get more water. But what happens whenever the water goes bad in the cisterns? You've not only got an army on the outside and no food on the inside, eventually the water you need to sustain your life becomes deadly poison. He compares it to serpents and adders, pain. Poison, death. My friends, the word of the lie, adapting itself always to suit the current situation, is as plausible today as ever. It always offers gratifying results by quicker and easier methods. This is the cause of the delusion. You quit hearing what God actually says. What are the effects of the delusion? From verse 18, chapter 8, through verse 11 of chapter 9, the first effect is grief. When you read that 18th verse, hear Jeremiah, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Behold the cry of the daughter of my people from the length and breadth of the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with the carved images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past; the summer is ended. We're not saved. For the wounded, the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold on me. What you have in verses eighteen to twenty-one is what's called in Hebrew poetry a chiasm. That term comes from the Greek word chi, which is to us the X. So what he does is he starts at a place and makes statements that come to a point and then he restates it the other way out. Here's the imagery. There's a trio of voices here. The prophet begins, right? He is crying out, my joy is gone from me. Then the people cry out. The daughter of my people cry out. And then the Lord cries out, and then the people cry out and finally at verse 21 the prophet cries out again i mourn what's he what's he mourning there's no hope right now Gilead was known as a place for healing herbs and rosins it's uh, i don't know maybe the equivalent of some of the essential oil things today i gotta i'm just it wasn't superstitious they actually had things there that were considered to be good for health but here's the problem israel won't use it israel will not reach out for help they've all become adulterers chapter 9 treacherous men falsehood they proceed from evil to evil and the outcome at verse 4 of chapter 9, is everybody's become a liar. Now, here's a lovely, you know, you, you've heard of beware of dog signs. Here's one for your yard Beware of neighbor. Why you gotta be wary of your neighbor? Put no trust, for every brother is what? Verse 4? What's the word? Deceiver. Every neighbor goes about as a slanderer. Everyone deceives his neighbor. No one speaks the truth. Lies breed lies. They've never repented, and as a result, judgment comes. Verse 11, chapter 9, I will make Jerusalem a heap of ruins, a lair of jackals, and I'll make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitant. That's the effects of the delusion, the cause, the effects. At chapter 9, verse 12, he shifts somewhat. The delusions are going to be blown away. Now it begins at verse 12 with a question, basically three questions. Who is the one so wise, he can understand this, to whom is the mouth of the Lord spoken that he may declare it? Why is the land ruined and laid waste like a wilderness so that no one passes through it? Who? Only the man who hears and heeds the Lord. To whom has this task been given? Jeremiah and through him to the nation. Why? Because of their wicked belief in this big lie. The nation has made a choice between two kinds of gods. Pay attention there at verse 13. They have forsaken my law that I set before them, have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it. Now pay attention to 14. But have stubbornly followed their own hearts and have gone after the Baals as their father taught them you see my friend the idolatries that tempt them the idolatries they embrace have not come out of reasonable thought it's they've looked at it and their sinful heart has said now there's a religion i can get on board with doesn't have all those rules, understands that we have needs, especially sexual needs, and what better than a religion that caters to that? It's got some elements of my control. I don't have to wait on a sovereign God. Do you see this, my friend? Idolatry is the result of a heart problem. My devotion to autonomy will lead me to create my own gods. Now I know, you say, well, we don't don't have images today. We don't have to have images today. Listen to David Wells. Trusting some substitute for God to serve some uniquely divine function. These substitutes need not be supernatural. Money, power, expertise the location of the planets on the astrological charts, and a belief in progress are among the most popular idols of our time. Right? How many of us find the most fascinating, the latest multi-million slash billion dollar contract for a sports figure? Look how much they're making. Isn't that just amazing? We we worship at success. We worship at expertise. We worship at power. My friend, you don't have to build a little image to be an idolater. Some of you carry your idolatry in a wallet in a purse. They've chosen between two kinds of God and the consequences our bleak lives, bitter food, poisonous water, scattering. The increasing afflictions tell Judah that they're doomed. At verse 17 of chapter 9, the Lord says, Consider and call for the mourning women to come. Send for the skillful women to come. Let them make haste and raise a wailing over us that our eyes may run down with tears and our eyelids overflow with water. The sound of wailing is heard from Zion. How we are ruined. Do You see, the Lord is calling to them and saying, listen to me, you're about to need professional mourners. The death of Judah is on top of you. Get the pros ready. Because the mourning is going to be staggering. The slaughter will not only be in the cities, but in the country. And the ultimate effect of this, my friend, the ultimate cause, if you will, Verses twenty-three and twenty-four. Now that's another one of those texts that may be the only sermon you've ever heard out of the Book of Jeremiah. That's great stuff, right? But it comes right in the middle of the people who will not do this. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices. What does he do? Steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Those who finally survive, the tiny remnant of Judah and Israel that will come back to the land, will only come back as they have this wisdom, knowledge, might, love, justice, righteousness that comes from knowing the Lord. That picture of knowing the Lord, the Apostle Paul takes up, right? We had it in the reading this morning. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord is anchored in Jeremiah chapter 9 here my friends the delusions are blown away they have bought into the big lie and idolatry now consider lastly this the gods of delusion and the god of fact now when you read the first few verses of chapter 10 you get mockery of idolatry, right? Tells them not to learn the ways of the nations. Verse 3, here he begins his description. Verse 3, middle of the verse. A tree from the forest is cut down, worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. So first, if you're going to get you a god, you go to the forest and find a good tree. Now, if you're trying to customize the god for your living space, you've got to get the right size. So you find the right size tree. You cut it down and you shape it. Then you decorate it with silver and gold. And here's where the mockery really gets stinging. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. It's disturbing when your God moves and you don't want him to. Remember what happens when the Philistines put the Ark of the Covenant inside the temple of Dagon? Dagon falls down. Well, that's disturbing. Can't have your God falling down in front of that Hebrew thing, so you stand standing back up, and the next day he not only falls down, his head and his hands break off. Mm, that's even worse. Maybe we ought to get rid of this thing. And then he makes this comparison. They're not any different than a scarecrow. Now, I remember as a child, I pestered my mom to death because I thought we needed a scarecrow in our garden. Now, I can tell you, I don't recall one time we ever had a crow in the garden. But boy, you know, if you want a scarecrow, so we talked mom into letting, well, letting us. We helped as mom built a scarecrow. And I'm I'm just here to tell you that scarecrows don't do anything. They don't move on their own. They have no thoughts. They have no opinions. You'd look like an idiot to go out and kneel in the garden in front of a scarecrow, right? But the Lord through Jeremiah says, here's your idolatry. You might as well go out and worship the scarecrow as what you're putting in your home. One brother put it this way. Nowadays, the ultimate power is nature. Isn't she amazing? Or the market. What unpleasant surprises will spring up for us next year? Or sexual fulfillment. Get this right, and all your wishes will come true. Or science, the great deity who knows everything. Obviously, none of these is a person, but surely anyone with half a brain can also see that none of them is ultimate reality. Over against this. Jeremiah shows us the true living God. Who is our God? Verse 10, the Lord is the true God, the living God and everlasting King. At His wrath the earth quakes, the nations cannot endure His indignation. Thus shall you say to them, verse 11, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens It is He who made the earth by His power, who established the world by His wisdom and by His understanding stretched out the heavens. When He utters His voice, there's a tumult of waters in heavens. He makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from His storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge, and every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his images are false and there's no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob. For he's the one who formed all things in Israel. is a tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Do you see the true living God? This God, and we conclude, shall be the end of you. Your idolatry is leading you to destruction. But your idols aren't the ones actively destroying you. The one true God is. The idols may be instrumental, but because you've rejected the one true God, here's the consequence. He tells them, gather your bundles. That is, get your stuff together. Judah's cities will be a desolation. There's going to be wrath from godless nations, because the God of truth will no longer tolerate being treated with contempt." Now what does that have to do with us today? Oh, folks, one of the parts of the big lie is always we are the people nationally in the world. We are the people. We are the leaders. world can't go on without us. Whatever shall happen if Rome falls? And yet Rome falls. Whatever shall happen if the Holy Roman Empire of Europe falls apart? It falls apart. What happens if English hegemony over the whole world and the colonies falls apart. It'll be the end of civilization and yet here again is civilization. Oh, whatever shall happen to this world if America falls? How big is your God? Hmm? Friends, I don't take delight in this but don't for a moment believe the big lie that's had various shapes throughout human history but is always in essence that god's not actually sovereign or actually involved that he's not spoken clearly and that our relationship to him is our prerogative not his oh dear non-christian here you are this day you're under the preaching of the lord's word in the presence of god's people you've heard prayers prayed you may have sung along All praising the glorious God of grace, yet you refuse to believe. Jesus speaks to you and says, I am living water. I am the bread from heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Savior of the world. And yet you refuse to believe. My friend, your belief is not neutral. It is an affront to the God who has granted you life. your refusal to believe, do you think the Lord will overlook this? The author of Hebrews said, since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Hmm. Christians, As we live in this hostile culture, and I will say this without apology, a culture that I believe is actively under the judgment of God. I cannot read Romans 1, and for a moment, when I hear, do you think God's going to judge America? No, God is judging America. Our salvation is not going to be found in the next presidential election. Our salvation is not going to be found by getting some generic, non-specific prayer back in school. My friends, the only hope, the only hope is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The saving work of the power of God through His Word preached. Oh, my friends, please, don't even buy a little bit of the big lie. I know, well, you don't think politics is important. Yes, but... Folks, elections can be won by moral, ethical people and a nation still end up destroyed. Do you hear what the Lord is shouting at all of us so clearly? There is only one true God. And the only way to Him is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that only happens when the Spirit of God comes to you and changes your heart. Oh, my friends, the delusions are everywhere. Help your brothers and sisters, help your children. Help your grandchildren, Christian, to see the big lie, to see the delusion. But my friend, if all you ever do is point out the delusion, you've not even done half the job. Give them the truth. Tell them what God says. Introduce them to the living God. God. And make your boast this, that you know and understand Him. Therein, my friend, is saving hope. Let's pray. Father, as we live in this world as salt and light in a corrupt society that has fallen head over heels in love with its own image, with its own wickedness, that has called wickedness, righteousness, that has called what is evil, good, and declared that what is good and right is evil. Oh God, in this upside down, backwards, ugly time in our nation's life. Oh Father, may we lift our eyes to see the great I Am the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. May we with reverence and joy and anticipation open the Word of God and let the Word cleanse us and purge us as Christians, leading us away from the big lie, strengthening within us the truth. May we have such zeal for God to be rightly known and acknowledged that we are so angular to society that we stand out. Not merely as scolds, not merely as judges, but as people who know life and long for others to know life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen. gift of grace is Jesus